0: Welcome to Lessons from the Healing Field, an ongoing journey from head to heart with Dr. Howard E. Richmond. Hello, hello, and welcome. I just love that music. Love, love, love that music, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But right now, I would like to say a a word or two about my co-host. And as you know, I am Deborah Brown, co-host of Lessons from the Healing Field, and my awesome co-host, whose party this actually is, and I love to call it that, it's his party, um, is an integrative psychiatrist and author, Howard E. Richmond, M.D. He is an inspirational teacher and coach who greets people on their life's journey and guides them to create the best life ever. His lessons about releasing judgments and hidden emotions introduce a new language that fuels and stimulates personal growth. The Healing Field, his first novel, is a riveting account of the healing breakthrough that saved his anorexic patient's life and transformed his own. And he can also tell us about that music. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here, Deborah.
0: (laughs) Do you like having me call at your party?
1: Yes and let's uh let's invite a lot of people hopefully we'll all <laughs> join in and have fun
0: well i like that I, I like that because you know what exactly and this is about the healing journey right this is about um having everybody t- you know have their lives turn out the way they really want and um and sometimes we don't even know what that looks like on the other end would that be a true statement and
1: yes and you know i look at it as we we are all on a healing journey whether we know it or not and it's certainly better to know it because then we can participate more actively in that healing journey life is a healing journey
0: i've never really thought of it that way until i started uh, speaking to you about these kinds of things and i realized that <laughs> the healing field is <laughs> not just the title of your book nor is it just the um the the title if you will of your entire body of work and the the field that you work in being integrative psychiatry, but it 's also how everyone you know just us normal folk, can figure out how to heal whatever's going on um from the baggage we carry and Oh, my goodness, all the things that have happened to us and the, the emotions that we've got hiding in various places in our psyches. And it's just a really interesting place to realize that it's, it's for all of us to enjoy.
1: Yes, and, and another word about the words, because we're going to get into words, so the healing field, field has a number of possibilities and connotations. So we are made up of energy, our thoughts and our emotions are energy. So there's a field of energy, and our body is comprised of energy. We could not we could not function if we didn't have energy. So the field is also an energy field, as well as the connotation of a, a regular old field, where if we neglect it, things will um, go to ruin. And if we tend our field, things are going to grow and bloom. As long as we do the work, pick. Kick out the weeds and plant new seeds. That's the key. Kick field. out
0: the weeds and plant new seeds. I like that. <laughs> that may be yeah. the um, the watchword for the coming week. I've had quite a week with uh, technology things, and I've been wanting to cuss at my machines and everything, and I realized, you know what, I just need to kick out some weeds. <laughs> so that'll be right. better. That'll be much better.
1: Right. Okay,
0: so you mentioned that we're going to talk about words, and I, I put in the description of the show, or actually the title, um, The Power of Words to Harm or Heal. And I think we're really going to get deep in that, because um, we tell ourselves stories, or we let other people say things that we take the wrong way or the right way for the moment, and it just is, is not something that serves well. So why don't we kind of frame this in something that happened in the healing field, your book, and it has to do with Your patient, Lori, or the doctor's patient, Lori, um, saying that she thought she should have been able to save her sister and her friend, Tom, from dying. And she actually said Mm -mm. the words, I should have saved them. Now, what happened to Lori or Lori's psyche with those words? Or, you know, what happened that she would have this, this notion
1: that she, she what what happens as a consequence or how did she come to um, that conclusion
0: both because I think if we set the context that will be a good place to start
1: so Lori's sister Linda they were very very close and tragically Linda fell into a deep dark depression and she killed herself she committed suicide tragic Lori Lori felt so devastated, understandably, and a part of her felt guilty as well because two weeks before her sister died, Linda and Lori, they went to a Walmart-like store and unbeknownst to Lori at the time, Linda purchased bullets. Now, when Lori found out that the shotgun that Linda, her sister, used did not have their father's bullets. And they figured out that it was bullets at this store. It was actually called Gemco. Wow. Mm-hmm. That caused tremendous guilt in Lori. Now, we, as outsiders of this emotional emotionally laden, in charged story, we can say, well, well, wait a minute, that's not rational. You didn't know. You couldn't have prevented her. So that's a rationalization. That's an intellectualization. However, because Lori felt so guilty, and when we feel so guilty, or whatever emotion it is, those emotions are energy in motion. Those emotions are energy in motion, and they create an alternative, a different story, so that Lori felt responsible, guilty, and therefore she said, I should have saved Linda. Also, um, her friend Tom died in the hospital of an overdose of medication, an inadvertent, uh, it was a mistake, It was a mistake um, of prescribing excess quantities, and Lori felt somehow she should have alerted the doctor strong enough so that the doctor would have uh, prevented this, stopped this. She was powerless to do so. So that's the context in where Lori says that she should have saved Linda and she should have saved Tom. Okay, that's part one, how she got to that place. That's kind of a, a brief summary of those emotions and the power of those emotions. Now, part two, what happens when, when any of us use the word should? Now, we're going to use Lori as a teaching example because this is profound and it's huge. Now, we all, we all, we all should ourselves. We shoot ourselves, I should do this, or I should do that, or I should have done X, Y, and Z, or I should not have done whatever. Um, when we shoot ourselves, as Lori was shooting herself, the word should is packaged with, a, with a, um, a, an arsenal or a punch of judgment and also shame. There's judgment there. There's self-judgment Lori had about she should have saved Linda and she should have saved Tom. There's judgment there, and then there's a host of emotions including shame, guilt, powerlessness, worthlessness, and other other emotions that can get hit, hidden like anger and resentment and and betrayal. A huge uh, invisible depth of emotional TNT. So that's how Lori. Um, had imprisoned herself it's a it's a striking example of how we can sentence that's right we can sentence ourselves with our sentences and her sentence i should have saved linda and i should have saved tom that sentence sentences herself to infinite judgment and emotional stuckness wow that's, that's hmm. a prison. So we can sentence ourselves to a prison, and the other side of it is we can release ourselves from the prison. And then, of course, dot, 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 see things in a prism, P-R-I-S-M, and let the light in.
0: Wow. So my question How's that, is... that for starters? I just, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm blown away, and of course I take notes every time you talk. I don't know if you realize that because you don't see me on the other end of this uh, experience (laughs) we're having, but I've now gone through four pieces of paper, both sides.
1: Um, But what I,
0: (laughs) what I'm drawn to, to, (laughs) really, uh, what I have, what I'm drawn to remember is my own uh, shooting on myself through day, through many, many decades, frankly and um when my mother uh was having a heart attack i i felt like i should have known that even though yeah. women do not have heart attacks the way men you know present uh oftentimes you can't tell and i um i i actually when i figured it out she had probably been having this heart attack for about I would say twelve hours or more, and again, I, how would I really know that? I'm not a doctor, but I think that's probably what happened. And I feel like I should have known earlier, and that I could have saved her. And mm-hmm. and I, you know, on one hand, that's what I say, and then it's almost mm-hmm. six years since that happened. So I'm starting to um, feel less and less like that—that uh, that I, I really could not have known, should not have known. Good. Um yeah, but I, I but it's it's yeah, yeah. It's um when it first happened, oh my goodness, the despair and the um the the, the damage that the I was pain. doing to myself. Yes, I was doing yes. absolute physical damage to myself because I was thinking, yeah. Okay, she was sweating, you know, now that I think about it, she was yeah. sweaty, she'd broken out in a sweat, my mother didn't sweat. I should have known. You know, and I went through oh yeah. my goodness, it was just terrible and I felt like a terrible daughter, and yet, on the other hand, I know that I, no- I never was a terrible daughter. But boy, did it do me a number.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and thanks, thank you for sharing that, Deb. That's a powerful lesson and a reminder for all of us. We we can, um, and, and also a reminder of the power of emotions. Uh, you, you felt guilty, and you sentenced yourself to that punishment and emotional pain that you should have. And and yet, really, underneath the, that thought and the emotion of guilt was really deep sadness, of course, the loss of your mom. However, what got your attention and what got your physical body was that, that shooting yourself, that you should have saved her. And now you are seeing that that was a misperception. It is ha- this is very common. Um victims of disasters that survive. They commonly feel survivors' guilt. Those that survived the tsunami and, and maybe a family member did not, I should have died, not my loved one. Um, that's a reflexive response that goes deep in our brain's survival mode. So these are things that when we start to become aware of it sooner and that awareness goes deeper as you've had a shift and you're continuing to shift To let go of that shooting and to let go of the guilt, so guilt-free, shame-free, and you're out of the prison of that sentence, and now you're liberated when you get when you're when you're let go of it.
0: So that sounds like a conscious choice of of should, you know, uh, not opting for should and maybe choosing could, or neither one of them in this case. You know, I, I, you know, so there's a difference between the feelings that I was having with that situation, and the difference between should and could in a conversation with another person, you know, which is not life and death, but just regular talking to somebody, you know, where you you can choose the wrong words and set up a communication that you really um, gets both parties kind of in trouble or off track or unhappy.
1: Well, let me pick up um, the, the could. And I want to go with the could even in this s- situation because I-, I like to make the point again and again um, that when we replace should with could, uh, it almost instantaneously releases uh, judgment and the emotional charge. So if we say you could have saved your mom, we have to say a- yes. And only if you knew things that you could not have known, then you're you're out of the prison. So Mm. when when we do the should, the first step is the awareness that should is a word that has judgment and an emotional charge to it. When we replace should with could, and and we'll use some other examples, now we're working out of that trap um, that we didn't even know we were there until we started with, wait a minute, I'm shooting myself. I should have known better. I should have done different. Well, sometimes we can, and sometimes we don't have the wisdom, the awareness, the tools. So why sentence ourselves to days, weeks, months, and years of, of the should prison if if we could not have known.
0: So word choice can actually be a get-out-of-jail-free card and <laughs> keep you out of that prison. Words,
1: yes. Yes, when we work it and we work it in the depths of it, that's where that will set us free. It's, it's the power of words. Um, words can have positive, negative, or neutral connotation. Example, the word manipulate. Familiarly, uh, commonly, manipulate has a negative connotation in its common usage. Somebody's manipulating me. Um, they're manipulating the situation. Well, if I take a pencil, I am manipulating this pencil. It's neutral or it's positive. It depends in the context and the intention and the awareness of the power of words to harm or to heal.
0: Wow. That's exactly right. Well, even um using the same uh the same word manipulate, I believe that a chiropractor is manipulating the um the skeletal system and so forth to heal.
1: They and, love and without that, that
0: Yeah, and without that manipulation, there is no <laughs> that field does not exist because that's what they do.
1: Yes, yes. So it's so this what's another dialogue that, that's what? of of word choices, hard, hard versus easy. So, for example, you know, Deborah, that I do yoga. I do hot yoga. It's ninety minutes. So I'll pause right there. Some people will say, oh, gosh, it's so hard. Now, I do this 90-minute yoga, as you know, pretty much on a daily basis. And commonly people say to me, oh, God, I could never do that. That's so hard. There was a time that I could only do one or two yogas a week. And now I'm in a different place. There was a time when I would have thought, oh, gosh, that's so hard And yet I realize that we trap ourselves when we use the word hard and easy. It's so common in our vocabulary. So if we start to replace hard and easy with familiar and unfamiliar, so let's take hard. It's hard doing yoga seven days a week. Well, if we do it one time a week, it's very unfamiliar to do it seven times a week. It took me a while before I could do yoga and practice it on a daily basis with more or less ease, relatively speaking. So the word hard, so often we think hard automatically. It's like looking at the top of the mountain and saying, oh my God, it's so hard to get up there. And we'll probably convince ourselves not to even try or whatever the task is. We can make challenges monumental or we could downgrade and say, okay, that's unfamiliar, whatever that task is. If I want to learn it, I need to practice it with the mountain analogy. Well, if we take one step, that's not hard. That's very familiar. So as we become more familiar with these new word substitutions like familiar and unfamiliar, hard and easy no longer have that trapping either or good, bad, extreme. Hard and easy. Good and bad. If we start to think healthy and unhealthy, that opens, that gets us out of the box and the limitations of good and bad. It's so common in our language, uh, good and bad and hard and easy, yet when we take a step back, when we pause, when we breathe, when we hear and look at our sentences, slow them down, put them on pause, Then we can see, wow, energetically there can be a shift because when we think hard, our body instantaneously tenses up. When we think, oh, that was a piece of cake, we relax. So we're constantly in motion, uh, contracting or expanding. When we dial in and we increase our awareness, when we cultivate that sensitivity to the awareness of how these things integrate, We have more energy to put into our creative drive or our tasks or our everyday lives. That's the beauty of this.
0: It is. And I'm thinking that something that is good, if I were to replace that with healthy, then Mm -hmm. that leads to a concept of healthy self-care, too. Yes. And then... I don't even want to hang out in bed. So, can I just can I just tune out the negative, or do I have to have that juxtaposition of understanding that, in other words, those two fields are those two polar opposites?
1: We need to we need to be aware of those two fields. So, for example, take a battery. It has a positive charge and it has a negative charge. We don't say the positive charge is good and the negative charge is bad. That would be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so even the words good and bad are judgmental words that can be misused. When we start to see the contrast, this is how we learn. This is how I learn. This is how I teach in my practice and teach others by knowing the contrast. Cold water and hot water. If we only have cold water, there is no cold. Because there's not the contrast of what what is what's hot Th- these are relative terms hot and cold good and bad well oh, that was a huge mistake well was it really huge or is that the way that it felt so let's be careful that we don't sentence ourselves to a prison of draining more energy when we don't have to when we learn how not to
0: is there a way for me to model this to people around me so that they maybe start to enjoy the same kind of understanding of this new language, or do they have to kind of hook into your trainings, if you will? In other words, is there a way for for me to to help other people just by being aware of myself? I guess is the answer a question
1: sure sure we can do it on the, the the simple level of in our daily conversation we use terms like should a lot so if somebody is open to you sharing and you want to point out here's what happens when you replace should with could or here's you can show them what happens when they change these words uh that can be transformational when a person gets it practices it words um, we've talked about the word but. Um da 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 but da da da. So so often we say somebody gives you a compliment, "Oh, I like the clothes that you're wearing." Yeah, but I got it at a secondhand store. Or I want to go out tonight, but I have too much homework. When we put the but in and it's such a common word usage, it limits us to two choices what comes before the butt and what comes after it. And the butt tends to devalue one thing and overvalue another. It it causes a polarity. And when we take the butt out, uh, I have homework to do. I want to go out tonight, and I have homework to do, and maybe I'll see if I can do half of it, and maybe I'll go out part of the time. Now we've opened up, we've gotten out of the box of limitations and opened the door to possibility. I had
0: just written the word possibility before you said it, so I think I'm a good student. <laughs> I think I'm a good student. And, and what I was hearing you say also about the, the polarity is, is pretty obvious to me, but the thing that really stands out is that part about devaluing what comes after the butt. And I would say that if yeah. you're in a conversation with someone and they've just told you something that they think is amazing, whatever, whether you think it's amazing or not, and you just basically say, I heard you, I hear you, but, and then what that means is you don't really care what they just said because you now feel like what <laughs> you have to say, it has more weight, is more interesting, exactly. is, is better, or whatever.
1: So, so if I'm the person that shared something with you and you go, da da da, da but... I instantaneously feel that you didn't really capture or understand or value what I said. Now, that can happen so subconsciously that we don't pick it up. When we slow things down to track it, then, yeah, we get that hit. So the beauty of this simple awareness that we practice, that we can practice again and again, when we have this awareness to take the butt out. I call it butt removal. We remove the butt and put a, a yes, and. So so whatever I said to you, then you shift it around. You say, yeah, 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 I hear you, and I have something to add, and it's this. Mm-hmm. That didn't devalue what I had to say.
0: Absolutely. That is correct. And And the other cool thing about that is it makes you – much more respectful in in your communication. It's much more um, considered when you do that. No, I don't mean considerate, but considered. In other words, you have to kind of stop yourself and think a little bit before you do that automatic but, because but is one of the things that a person I think can say about a thousand times a day. <laughs> <laughs> this is a but this is this yeah. is a butt society. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I've, I've done it myself and as you know, we've had conversations where it's been kind of the um the joke of the of the hour or something to see if we can break me of the habit and it's still it's it's something I'm aware of, which as we right. talked last time, the awareness is is sometimes so much Uh, part of the breakthrough, if you will. It's it's so important just being aware. But then putting it in practice, is like, okay, come on, I can get this.
1: I can do this. Well, so here's the thing. Awareness, I like to say, is the first ten steps. Mm -hmm. Not the first step, the first ten steps. Because what we're talking about makes so much sense when we slow things down. Now, I have the advantage advantage that I have my profession – a big tool in my toolbox is the art and the skill and the practice of what it means to listen on a real deep level. So, I have years of practice, um, many more years of practice than my years of training, and I am a good listener. And I like to teach how we can all be better listeners. So, when we see the but, and I'd like to change our collective consciousness. Ha ha ha! One butt at a time. Um, So, thank you. So when we when we see the butt, now it's in slow motion. You have the awareness now that butts are common, butts are limiting, and a common reaction people will say to me, Howard, oh gosh, this is so hard, or this isn't easy, and there we go again to those two words. I say, no, 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 no. Let's not use hard and easy. This is unfamiliar. Brushing our teeth was unfamiliar when we first started as a little kid, and we didn't have judgment about it, or, well, we we don't have to have judgment about it. So when we take the reaction and shift it from, oh, gosh, this is too hard, or "Or I should know this by now, right? I should mm-hmm. know, oh, no, wait a minute. I could know this by now if I had been practicing years earlier and I didn't so I'll lose the judgment that I should be anywhere but here,
0: right? So you know what else you just said? What you just said is that there is forgiveness in changing the lexicon that you are using. Because the forgiveness right there, I could have done this if I had been practicing all these years. There's a forgiveness of that moment where I, you know, Said the, said the thing that I that I'm now wishing I could say you know start over or learn new. I like that.
1: Ab- absolutely, absolutely. You're you're very astute. You hit the bullseye on that. And so, a forgiveness is essential. Uh, it is essential. Now we have a choice here. If we choose not to forgive self or others, then we put them or ourselves, and it really ends up ourselves in a prison. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, forgiveness of, wait a minute, uh, maybe maybe I'm being too, quote-unquote, hard on myself. Uh, another use of that word, hard. Um, no, that's very familiar to be judgmental and critical. We all say we are our own worst enemy. Common sentence that we collectively shake our heads in agreement. Yeah, 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 we are our own worst enemy. The problem is when we say that, think it, believe it, then we make it so. Now, when we slow down the nodding and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, do we have to be our own worst enemy? No. Can we work on being less and less of an enemy? Can we work on being more and more of a friend or advocate for ourselves? Sure. It takes work takes practice? Is it easy? No, it's unfamiliar. So the choice is there.
0: Okay, you'll have to wait just one second while I finish writing friend or advocate, because wouldn't that just be great if we all decided to be our own best friend and advocate, which <laughs> goes back to that healthy self-care. It's funny how this all ties together now, doesn't it?
1: That. Yes, it does, because when we are practicing being our own best friend or advocate, I like to term it or coin it, this is waging inner peace. Because when we wage inner peace, why wage inner or outer war? Oh, my goodness. Why do that when we can shift our focus and our energy and our intention? If we're all waging inner peace, ah, wars, the war machines would just, Come to a dead end, a stop, a halt. So let's so, wait inner peace.
0: No kidding. So now if if I model what you're teaching and others who listen to the show and read the healing field and do the other opportunities that you are creating for people to play with you and be at your party <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then we can change um with a ripple effect <laughs> ourselves, and then our families, and then our neighborhoods, our communities, and the world. Is that a fair statement?
1: This is how it happens, and it gives me no greater joy than when a client or a patient or somebody I'm working with comes in and after a session, and they come back in, and they're using this language, and they're feeling lighter in their body, and they're feeling more energy. And then... Uh, What happens sometimes is they say they are sharing this with a family member. So, yes, that's how it spreads. Like dropping a pebble in a pond, that ripple effect happens. We just got to keep dropping the pebbles in the right pond.
0: Exactly, exactly. I was just trying to um, <laughs> I was just trying to to um, figure out real quick if the passage that I wanted you to read in the book um, this time makes sense because of something you just said about um, uh, something that reminded me of what was going on with Lori at this passage. So. Let's let's go ahead and do that. Are you are are you willing to put this idea on pause for a minute, and we'll come back if we need to to more about the the power of words to harm and heal. Sure. And okay. All right. So, I want to talk a little bit about um, negative emotions and this facing pain and all of this stuff and and what was happening with Lori. If you would read from page seventy five. Um, and you'll know what I want you to go into has to do with the bull and the bullfighter because she's playing two roles here, and I think we we all do this, too.
1: Okay. And before I start to read, because I am self-admittedly picky with words, negative emotions, here's the challenge I have with, that common uh, collection of two words. Um, I don't consider emotions to be positive or negative. It's like the battery uh, analogy: a positive charge isn't good, and the and the negative charge isn't bad. So I like to teach people to be very careful and not to or or to remove that judgment that maybe anger is a bad emotion or negative emotion or or shame or guilt or worthlessness, et cetera, any emotion can have negative consequences so stuck oh, emotion
0: that's a distinction yeah that's a very that's interesting right. yes okay that's right got it so okay any, so any
1: any any emotion or or a cluster of emotions when they get stuck uh can have consequences that are negative that are unhealthy that that have uh um that cause Disease or disease. So I like to look at emotions as just part of the energy circuit, and it's what we do with the emotions. It's our awareness and what we do with them, and how we think and feel about them, and when we lose our judgment, that's everything. That's the work.
0: And I think I'm um, I'm being drawn to remember something in the healing field about anger and that at one point you told Lori that anger is okay. She's allowed to be angry, and she never really yes. gave herself permission to be angry until you gave her the permission to um, to kind of look at that and say, yeah, you can be angry, and she was so shocked.
1: Exactly, so, because she was taught so, that anger, mm-hmm. especially with women, is, is a negative, it's a bad emotion. And, right. boy, did that teaching mess her up.
0: I have some of that myself, so I think that's probably why this was like a little bell going off. You know, I I don't believe that I should ever be angry, and if I am, that I've committed some kind of horrible, you know, faux pas or sin. It is so, so interesting. It is
1: so much more. Yeah, it's so common, more common than we we realize. Wow,
0: always learning with you, sir. Always learning, Doctor H. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> love it. Um, go ahead. Yeah, (laughs) go ahead and read because I love how you read your own uh, your own words. Uh, You're just an amazing writer, and you know um, this this book is as uh, as we might have mentioned a um, a fictional account or fictionalized account of a true story. And you know, God love you both for for telling it, you and Lori. So.
1: Thank go you. Go ahead and read for us. Thank you're you. You're very welcome. So I'll set up the context. Uh, Henry, who's my character, and Lori, who's my patient, they're in a session in Henry's office, and Henry wants her to, get to go to the hospital because she is developing anorexia and her weight is plummeting. So uh, Henry says, you're not making it on your own, And so I'll start to read. Lori dug her fingers into her palms. I'm not going back. She was determined not to let him get inside the thin veil of control she had so carefully arranged around her body. Nevertheless, like a radio broadcast, her mind started to blare. If you you had been a better person, if you had performed better, then bad things wouldn't keep happening to you. Henry says, you could die if you don't eat more. His jaws clenched, his entire body strained against the intensity of her combativeness. He'd consulted with his associates and and searched the medical libraries, but all he'd gotten for his efforts was further confirmation of how difficult this condition could be and how dangerous. I'd rather die than eat, Lori fired back. The pain in her spine made every movement a reminder of her utter failure as a human being, her body the receptacle of her shame and guilt. Henry sighed, frustrated to new depths. His determined but futile efforts to impress upon her how her behavior threatened her very well-being seemed to have little impact on her. He wondered if it somehow contributed to her self-inflicted downward spiral, but he had to impress upon her that he could not stand by and watch helplessly as she continued in this way. Lori's growing weakness reminded him of a stubborn bull in a bullfight, worn out and ready to drop before the last plunge of the matador's sword. But ironically, Lori executed both roles, bull and bullfighter, with eerie skill and chilling mastery. As sacrificial bull, she received piercing psychological wounds throughout her body and mind. And as skillful matador, Lori got to deliver the penetrating emotional cuts to herself mercilessly. Okay.
0: Wow. Okay. So there is so much to unpack <laughs> in that passage. So much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And what I'd like to do before I um, let you... Loose on the bull and the bullfighter, and I'm pretty sure that I'm really aware of that little um concept in my own life, <laughs> but
1: before I
0: let you go there, I'd like to say how interesting it is to me that you use the words he'd gotten uh, all he'd gotten from the research for his efforts was further confirmation of how difficult this condition could be and how dangerous and I would like to posit right now that it was unfamiliar to you
1: or to the doctor. it was. It was unfamiliar. <laughs> Not hard. <laughs> and, and th- th- that's right. I'm just teasing unfamiliar. you. No, no, it's un- unfamiliar and to and to medicine and to the the field of psychiatry and psychology too. Just a reminder: this was in 1995, almost 20 years ago. Now, it's we we've come a little further along, and yet still, this is a very challenging disease, illness, condition to treat. So that's still true. Thanks for the word update. The word usage.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because uh like I said, I'm always learning and I'm 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 kind of amused at myself for not catching something but for noticing something, being aware. There's nothing to catch mm-hmm. or you know, whatever. But um just to be aware Amps, it's good practice. Yes. It's good practice for me. Right.
1: Yeah, I just so, counted two buttons who's yeah. looking
0: <laughs> Um t- <laughs> Talk to me about um, the bull and the bullfighter and how we are with ourselves.
1: So getting back to the idea that we have this condition, belief, conscious, and subconscious, that we're our own worst enemy. So I call that one of the three committee members is our inner critic or our inner judge. Our inner critic, we all have one. And our inner critic or our inner judge... When we start to observe, we will see how common and how prevalent it is that we have judgment. And in this case, we're looking at self-judgment. Sometimes that judgment is well-concealed. We rationalize it. We deflect it. We laugh about it. Yet when we really observe, slow down, stop, get quiet, only with that quietude can we really start to see clearly how we can have such negative thoughts, comments, beliefs about ourselves. So in this case, Lori was the victim, the bull, and the victimizer, the bullfighter. So that's the critic run amok, run wild our own worst enemy, and then we create dis-ease. We create disease, as evidenced with Lori in the book, and commonly amongst ourselves as well.
0: I call that, uh, when when I'm having the inner critic going crazy, I call that um, monkeys jumping on the couch in my head. (laughs) I like that. I do, and it's like, oh my gosh, these monkeys are going crazy up there, and it is um, exhausting. And I think that's what I noticed about this passage, that that it is exhausting, and that, you know, um, you mentioned how the bull, worn out and ready to drop before the last plunge, um, I think that's kind of the feeling that I get sometimes, is I'm wearing myself out, um, you know, listening to the inner critic, and... Knowing that it's really taking hold, sometimes. So, help me out here. What, what should I, what should I, or anybody else, take from this?
1: Okay, so we'll take the "should" out and say, what could I take from this?
0: Uh, yeah, did I just what do that? Get... Seriously? It's did so, I just do it's that? It's so
1: common. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, oh my gosh! And you I quit. Don't have I, I'm to hanging beat, up. You, no, <laughs> you don't have to beat yourself. That's your inner. That's your critic talking. You could choose not to beat yourself up for that slip. You could oh. choose to be forgiving, releasing, and letting go. And when we do that, there you go. Do you see how different that feels right now? Oh yeah.
0: I was actually feeling yeah. myself, this is too funny, I was feeling myself um, blushing with a little bit of embarrassment. I mean, I could actually feel the heat in my face. And I'm I'm like, seriously, nobody can see you, Deborah, seriously, and nobody cares, right? Seriously. But I could feel it because it was like, ah, I was right. so close. to, You know, I was so close to being perfect. And you know what? It's never going to happen. And so I was putting well, myself in that prison called yeah, Stuff I Made Up. Isn't that amazing? well yeah. of you're not amazed? You it, do it all the time. It, this, is, no, this is your every day. I'm
1: still amazed. No, I still, I still am amazed, and it keeps, it keeps me passionate. It, it is amazing. It is amazing every time we discover it. The little kid inside of me is like, oh, wow, that is amazing. That, and, and it shows how rapid and like, like. When you go to the doctor and you get the reflex hammer under your knee and your your ankle, your foot jolts up, that's a reflexive reaction. So your body similarly had a reflexive reaction in the physical form, flush, in the emotional mm-hmm. tone, shame. And when we mm-hmm. slow down to see that, and then you had judgment on top of that, that you should have not used the word shame. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just ran a whole Isn't number. That we could write a book about. Oh, I know. And and see and I feel like I Oh, I'm about to do it again. Okay, let me start over. I Yeah. I'll, yeah. I know what. I'll let you talk. <laughs> I'm just Oh my goodness. It's um it's practice. It takes practice and it takes slowing it's down. It's practice.
1: It does. Slowing down is wow. practice. And so this was a great example and i hope your listeners really appreciate your capacity to be honest to, to be vulnerable and to and to share it's a gift for us all to show us how we can all so quickly and rapidly in such a a a, a, a tight moment have the physical reaction the emotional charge and the judgment now when we slow that down and when we watch it as we release judgment and come from a non judgmental observational point of view, this is where the lessons come. Then we can see it and we can start seeing it again and again and again. That's why I say awareness, awareness, awareness times 10. We stay with the awareness it's a reflexive reaction that we want to go, okay, I know it now, I should master it by this amount of time. Whoa, we just sentenced ourselves to prolong it with that judgment in most cases when we're not careful with our word usage. Wow. It's good stuff. It is good
0: stuff. And I I can tell you that hearing you say, you know exactly what you said, and and a little bit of a a compliment, let's say, to my ability to share and and um, be vulnerable, um, makes me feel powerful. Makes me feel more inclined to do that again. So, wouldn't it be great if I could? I said, could that time? If I could. Yes. Um, tap into that more often and be my own best friend and my own advocate and say to myself, you were really great just then. Thank you for sharing just then. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Yes, yes. And wouldn't it be great? Now let's take the wood out and say it is great. So we put it in the now instead of delegating the future. No, it is great when you do this. And yes, you can as you practice more and more. So, for example, your visual of seeing monkeys on the couch for your critic, that's funny. And when you have that awareness quicker and sooner and it remains longer, uh, that's going to get you out of the autopilot reflexive mode of automatically judging. It's all with the awareness. So humor can help those visuals can help, uh, having uh, this awareness on your bathroom mirror or your uh, refrigerator as a reminder. These things can be really helpful. So it's a matter of practice, patience, persistence, and then lather, rinse, repeat.
0: <laughs> lather, rinse, repeat. Well, I love this um, This wouldn't it be great, dot, 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 and replacing it with it yeah. is. Because a lot of my life, and I hope it's okay that I'm that I am sharing this as much, you know, this time about me, but um, it is instructive. I hope. Yes, and and, and, yes, and and, 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 yes, and 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 very helpful. And
1: thank you for sharing. Please continue.
0: (laughs) Okay, I was going to say, I am going to say that. Um, This idea of wouldn't it be great is is in the future, and I have spent a lot of my years saying, okay, if I can just get through today and tomorrow, Monday Monday is going to be a great day. And then I will go, oh, my gosh, if I can just get through to the end of the year, 2015 is going to be a great year.
1: And I've done this my whole life. Yes. And And
0: that is a language, that is a language thing.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And in the now, you are aware and you are practicing dismantling the conditional statement of what I like to call if blank, then blank. Okay, so you filled in the blanks Mm -hmm. for us. If I get this done by Monday, then I'll be okay or some reward. It's off into the future, it's a conditional, and what we experience most often than not predominantly is stress and tension and By the time we get to that little reward, uh we already set up another condition so yeah we our mind projects in the future that hasn't happened, and we wear it as if it 's happening now that stress and tension and when we let when we change our thinking and we practice this, we let go of that that excess tension that gets projected to the future. It's wow.
0: Wow. Oh boy. Okay, so here's here's, <laughs> here's the list everybody. Uh it's replace should with could if you want to, right? Yeah. I mean people don't have to do these things. They mm-hmm. can do this if they want. Yeah, you but could. I, we we
1: you we, could. we
0: recommend. <laughs> uh yeah. we're going to replace we're going to replace hard with unfamiliar. We're going to replace but mm-hmm. with and, and mm-hmm. I love this one. Wouldn't it be great if, with it mm-hmm. is, and then maybe yeah. my my most favorite of all is probably the last one because I've lived so many years doing this, if blank, then blank. So yeah. if, if blank, then blank, what do I get to change that to, Dr. H?
1: So... If I get something done by a certain period of time, then I'll be okay in some fashion. How about we say, I'm okay anyways. Whether I get it done or not, I am setting my highest intention, and I'm letting go of my attachment to the outcome, the highest of intention and the lowest attachment to the outcome.
0: Okay, I'm ready to should heart should hard but and no way all over that one because that just uh that just seems like really a lot of adjusting on my part.
1: <laughs> okay. So you don't have you don't have to do it. You don't have, you're not supposed to be an expert at it all at once. This this is a this is a ongoing process. No, really. This is a long-term project that's ongoing. These two components. It's wow. a long-term project. That's ongoing.
0: I will tell so you what no just longer, made me, we'll, ha, Go I was ahead. just going to say what what I felt. I did feel a little clinching in my gut
1: because mm-hmm. I was thinking.
0: Uh, I mean, I was starting that whole that whole cycle again of. Yeah. Hey, that's that I'll sounds never, hard. You know, I'll, I'll never I'll, get that. Yeah. I'll,
1: yeah. I'll never. <laughs> oh yeah, that's an, we, and that that's a good reminder about never and always two extremes that box us in. You always complain when I leave the toilet seat up, (laughs) or you never take the garbage out, um, or I'll never be good enough and understand this language stuff. So you see how quickly it comes out. Now, a reminder, long-term project that's ongoing, that way now wouldn't it be nice or wouldn't it be great If I could do the – well, no, it's great when I do do it, and now I'm doing it. And my intention is to practice and let go of the judgment if I perceive that I fail. Instead of failure, let's make it I'm continuing to practice and learn as I go, long-term project that's ongoing. Right? Wow. Okay, so my opinion
0: is that this last (laughs) five minutes – is transformational. All of your work is transformational, but this last five minutes, I believe, oh, is probably yeah. the big bingo. It's probably the big bingo for almost everybody listening, because right, it's it's the. Um, I think this is the emotional black belt. Uh, you know, the, if you were going to, you know, uh, have some kind of um, ranking system for how you're mastering some of these things for your life, mm. I think this one mm-hmm. going to be a black belt.
1: Right, right, absolutely. And let me add to it, it this was the, the jewel because it has the aspect that it's very simple, the concept, when we slow it down and track it. And yet at the same time, simple does not mean easy. It's simple and unfamiliar. They go together beautifully. It's simple and it's unfamiliar. It's a long-term project that's ongoing now. Right. All right, so if you wouldn't
0: mind, seeing as how I was emoting and freaking out a little bit when you were doing the if-blank-then-blank blank replacement, could you would you mind mm-hmm. saying it again? It had to do with intention and all those amazing things that I absolutely am going to gather myself for.
1: Give me one of your... If blank, then blank statements and fill in the blank with any number. Pick a card, any card. What's a common one for you?
0: Um, let's see. If I lose five pounds, then I will um, feel better about myself.
1: Okay. That's a good one. That's common. Universal. If blank, then blank. If I lose five pounds, then I'll feel better about myself. The problem with that is we are sentencing ourselves to the opposite. The contrast is that means I have to feel bad about myself until I reach this goal. That's Mm. the unintended negative consequence to that sentence. If I lose five pounds, then I'll feel better about myself. What's hidden is that means I cannot feel good, therefore I have to feel bad about myself until such a time period which I don't really know when it's going to happen. Oh, my goodness. Let's rearrange this. First we have to see the perceived problem and and make it really come out. And there it is. We sentence ourselves to that tension and constriction. Guess what? That's going to make it, quote, unquote, harder, To lose those five pounds if I say I am working on my goals of healthy self-care I am feeling worthy of myself my intention is strong that's a better start because now we're putting it in the now and I don't have to feel bad or tense uh, about my process and make it a conditional that I get the reward because then it's the picture of the donkey and the carrot never get we never get it it's never good enough never good enough mm-hmm. that's the trap of the if blank then blank we're always reaching and never attaining and then it's never good enough those are the traps and we can get that's out of the perfect. trap
0: that's that's perfect. Yeah. I am working on my goals. I am feeling worthy. And then I wrote, I am strong. I'm not even sure you said that, but I wrote, I am strong. And uh, you might yeah. not have even said that, but isn't that interesting that that's no. what I wanted to hear?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. My strength is increasing and my my intention is, is uh, intensifying and I'm feeling good about my goals. That's going to make... Uh, There'd be more energy to achieve your goals, because now you don't have to feel bad about yourself until you get your your goal.
0: Right. Right. That's 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 awesome. That was a gift. Thank yeah. you very much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's my very pleasure. very
0: much so. Wow. Okay, so I think we came full circle. We started saying that we were going to talk about the power of words to harm and heal, and here we are using just a simple example, simple and unfamiliar in terms of, (laughs) um, you know, and and I love the fact that we just had a conversation at length about the fact that um, we don't have to understand all of this right from the moment you speak it. We don't have to right. you know worry about the fact that we're going to um wake up tomorrow and say should however many times and but however many times and you know but being aware yes. times 10 is, yes. is we're now on that path to the healing field.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, because I I tell others that this is like a foreign language with a twist. When I speak it like this, you get it right away. There's a listening fluency. And like a foreign language, our brains are wired that the listening part, the understanding, is, uh, comes more rapid than, than the speaking. So you can hear this, and it makes sense. That's why it's simple. And yet it's unfamiliar. Like a foreign language, when we practice a foreign language and we practice, it becomes a little less foreign, less foreign, uh, maybe a little familiar, more familiar. Okay, now fluency. We have to go through that this is foreign. We lose the judgment that I'm not getting it soon enough, and I'll only be, feel good about myself when I'm a black belt in this emotional martial arts. That's a trap, and we can get out of the trap as soon as we see that we're in one by changing our perspective, our thoughts, our sentences, and then our emotions change as we let go of judgment. So yeah, I'm right there with you. This this is universal and it's a gift when we use it, share it and uh keep on using it, practicing it and sharing it. Oh, wow. I think
0: I have one more question and then we can we can call it a uh, call it a show, call it a wrap or whatever it is. Wrap this one. <laughs> um <laughs> my question is is perfectionism um a choice that some people make. I consider myself a perfectionist, and I consider that to be um, a, a blessing and a curse because I look at it in, in a good way as being, you know, a lot of attention to detail and, and wanting things to be really, really good and blah, blah, blah. But it sounds like there's a lot of judgment in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, <laughs> you're laughing. I, well, I. <laughs> One reason I'm laughing, the, the many things I love about you, Deb, one is that your questions are so rich. And the twist is your rich questions. So I want to say, okay, do we have 20 to 30 minutes? Uh, and you intended this to be maybe two, two or three minutes. So that's why I'm <laughs> chuckling because it's a great question and it takes a while to unpack it. So I can give you a Reader's Digest version, and we could decide if we want to spend more time on this later. So is perfectionism a choice? Well, I want to say first that um, uh, the the whole notion of perfection, to be a perfectionist, what I have seen over the years in my practice, that it is such a trap, or let's say it can be such a trap to be a quote-unquote perfectionist. The upside, of course, is there's the quality, the quality of of one's work when we're the quote-unquote perfectionist. I would submit that our quality of work can come without the trappings of the shadow side, the negative side, the negative consequences of perfectionism. It's that if blank, then blank. <laughs> so that's one of the 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 trappings of being a perfectionist. Now, do we have choice? Yes and no and no and yes. When we're not aware, then we're really hostage to our conditioned pattern habit. When we start to become aware and understand, well, maybe this came from something uh, that I grew up with or in my background, or as a result of this or that. We can put that aside right now and say when we're aware of this, we can start working and, and, and neutralizing the negative and cultivating the positive. And to me, that's getting out of the trap of being a perfectionist and rather being a very conscious person who is seeking quality and looking out for the traps of judgment Simultaneously, how about that? Wow! Do you like that?
0: I do, I do, and I—I I was also thinking that an affirmation for someone like me, mm, <laughs> trying to have any, trying to minimize my judgment here, uh, might be, I am having less and less attachment to my perfectionism, and that I could probably yeah. work in some more stuff about, you know, I am conscious and I am seeking the best quality possible, but I am not going to, yes. um, nothing's going to happen, nothing bad, nothing so bad is going to happen that I'm going to have to, you know, stay in my room for three days if it's not perfect. I mean, that was silly at the end, but, I, you know, it's 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 not easy, whoops, I just started to go, instead of saying yeah, it's, it's hard, right. I went, mean, it's not easy, <laughs> yeah. does that count?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are oh, reflexes, these are psychological. Yeah, these are these are just psychological reflex reactions and when we have the awareness we can slow that down and you're you are hitting the target and heading for the bullseye there. Yes. So we can in we can continue to have that eye on quality and that drive on quality without going into the overdrive of being overly attached to the outcome and then suffering The consequences of of the perception of failing. We can have the quality without that latter part when we work on it. So we can get out of our reactions quicker and then feel more at ease.
0: Okay. I am going to, from this point forward, replace by choice my words about perfectionism with quality Mm -hmm. consciousness. Yeah. I am quality conscious,
1: yeah.
0: and yeah. that seems very um, uh, vanilla. I mean, it's just there's no, it's not loaded at all. There's nothing. No, it, there's no, no negative or positive.
1: Right. Well, it just that's is. the bullseye there. The quality, quality conscious is very inviting. It doesn't have yeah. baggage, so so it's an attractive magnet. Yes, I am. I am practicing seeking I am quality conscious. That's in the that's in the continuous now. It's not that only when the outcome is as I think it should then I'm I'm okay or then it's okay. Now it's I'm continually coming from a place of quality consciousness. Okay. That's a great wow. start. For whatever isn't that, you, whatever isn't that we awesome? It's beautiful.
0: That's awesome.
1: Love it. I like that. Yeah.
0: I like that. It's I a lot love more. Um, there's a lot more um, room to breathe into that. You know, there's no heaviness That's there.
1: That's right. It's the space wow. of grace and ease. Grace and ease. You feel that ease in your mind and your body, and the grace is in the spirit, the mind-body spirit, that. There is that grace and ease, and you you hit the you hit the bullseye with that. You see that shift, you feel it, and now as you practice it, it becomes more continuous rather than just this moment in time, and replaced by our reflexive reactions. Right? Exactly. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know about everybody else, but I had a great time for this hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes at least
1: at least two of us, and hopefully many more will join us yes, so that exactly. they can share in the shift from tension to ease. Exactly. Yes.
0: All right, so I will invite you to um, tell people how they can get hold of you. You can give your, um, your uh, web address, if you like, or uh, anything else you want to say about how they should buy the book. Go ahead and do that, and then we'll wrap it up.
1: So... Howard Richmond, M-D, R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D. So my name, Howard Richmond, with the initials M-D, all lowercase, howardrichmondmd.com. It's probably the sort of Grand Central Station. So from there, there'll be a link to the Healing Field book, which can be purchased on Amazon or through the website. And there will be posting of other ongoings with This work. So, I invite listeners to check out the website to contact us if they want to. And um, I hope to meet you soon again in the healing field.
0: And I would like to echo that. I would love to think that we will meet in the healing field and that we will notice each other, be aware, model these wonderful principles, be quality conscious if you choose. And by gosh, don't should yourself at all for the next couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right, it's, that's right our that's our show for the day. And thank you so much for being with me, Dr. H.
1: Thank you, Deborah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great work.
0: Me too. Me too. Okay. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.